Well, this morning we're wrapping up our series, our Living in Between series. And, uh, you know, where we've been so far is we've talked about living in between this identity as a uh, saint and yet the reality that we're still a sinner, uh, between the questions and the answers, uh, between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise between God and Caesar. And this morning we end in a place between knowing and doing. And so I'm really glad that we were able to have uh, Clarence and Lakeisha with us and their family because you talk about people who, who aren't living in between. They're actually in the doing. I mean, that's them. And they've been a, a great just testimony of that this morning. But, um, you know, with all of the other in-betweens, there's some level of ambiguity there. Like we know in part, but not in full. With the knowing and the doing, there's a whole lot more clarity where you just know. And so um, sometimes those places that you really know and it's really clear, well, sometimes that can be the most challenging, you know? And we'll see that this morning from the book of James. Let's go ahead and head there. James chapter 1, 19 through 27. James 1, 19 through 27. James writes, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what, he, what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, as James writes, he's, he's writing really in this uh, difficult moment in the life of the early church. He's writing from Jerusalem, uh, we think somewhere between A.D. 45 and A.D. 50. And at this time, there's a famine that's broken out in the Roman Empire, so the church is undergoing that. At the same time, there's great persecution that's happening in the church, so much of the church is having to scatter out of Jerusalem and into various regions of the Roman Empire. Um, and at the same time that all this is happening, the believers in the church, they're wondering, when is Jesus coming back? Like, they thought he was going to come back really quick, but what they thought was going to be a sprint is now turning quickly into a marathon because he hasn't returned yet. And on top of all this, uh, you have new leadership in the church. It's the next generation of leadership because many of the firsthand uh, witnesses of Jesus and hearing his teaching and ministry— They'd either died off or they've been scattered away. And so now new leaders are forced to step up and lead. And so you're getting a lot of letters. And James, uh, a chief among them, is saying, hey, what you have heard, now go ahead and live out. What, what you have uh, know, what you now know, we want you to go ahead and practice. And so as James is writing, he's writing to a church that has a lot of external pressures that they're facing. And at the same time, a lot of internal pressures. And so he's, this is the context in which he's writing to this dispersed church uh, in the Roman Empire, trying to tell them, hey, here is who you are. And knowing who you are, this then is how you live. This is how it affects. And so a lot of people, they come to James, and they have a little bit of a hard time with James because, well, he is so clear. 
I mean, you read them, there's no ambiguity. You know just what he's saying. And they look at it, and it's all, every, almost every verse is an imperative. Okay, do this, do this, do this. And so you're hearing all this, and it's almost like, James, you sound a little legalistic here. You know, are you, uh, it almost sounds as if you have to work for your salvation. And so some people have had a hard time with that. Understand, James, he's not writing about, like, what faith is. He's writing about what faith does. He's not writing about how you're saved. He's writing about how the saved are to live. And when he writes, it is with such clarity that it can be somewhat painful because James doesn't so much write with a pen as he writes with a two by four, right? I mean, it's almost like every, every verse is just like a punch in the nose. And then, hey, you read the next one. It's like, you want a little more? Boom, pop, pop, pop. He's just kind of hitting you over and over and over again with this stuff that, yeah, you understand it. But there's a challenge to live it. And so he begins chapter one, and he's writing about the threats of faith. And here's how faith is threatened. And first he talks about external threats. And hey, you're going to face trial of, trials of all different colors. And in those different trials of many kinds, consider it joy and seek wisdom from God. So he's talking about this and how you're dealing with just the external threats of life. He'll then shift to the internal threats and doubts and things like this. He says, hey, don't work for the good of yourself. That doesn't lead to anything. Work for the good of God and the good of the kingdom. And then then you get a life that's worth living. So after he talks about this and the type of faith and what, what faith does and how faith responds to threats, and tests and these different things, then he switches to what the passage we just read. And in the passage he just read, what we're talking about now is how you authenticate faith, how faith is validated. And he begins to say, be quick, or yeah, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. It's very straightforward, right? He's not ambigu- uh, ambiguous at all. You know exactly what he's saying, right? We, we get that. It's, it's understood. But at the same time, it's difficult to live out because rather than listening, a lot of times we like find the hole in the conversation and we get to jump in and say what it is that we want to say. And rather than being slow to speak, right, we're quick to speak. We, we got things we want to say. We got all this stuff. We just want to get it out. And, and so and we say, well, you know, it's just how God made me. Blame it on personality, whatever. And just, no, no, this is who you need to be. This is who you are as the church. Here's how, here's how you act. And then slow to anger. Um, now, is there a time to be angry, godly anger? Yes, absolutely. Anger that's under control, that's one thing. But a person who's consistently angry and who gets angry over the drop of a hat or whatever, that's something different. That's something else entirely, and that will never produce the righteousness of God, James writes. And so from there, he moves to morality and getting rid of all filthiness and wickedness and to meekly receive the word that is implanted in you so that it simply becomes who you are. You know, Jesus is called the word. And with Jesus, there's no like distinction between what he says and who he is, right? It, it goes together perfectly, right? What Jesus says and then what he does, it, all, it, it always lines up. For us, sometimes, well, we contradict that, right? Sometimes what we say and then what we do doesn't line up. And so James is saying more and more, you want to be transformed to the image of Christ, conformed to the image of Christ. And so the word that's implanted in us that we know, it becomes who we are, what we do. And, and so he shifts to, hey, don't merely be hearers of the word only, 
be doers of it. Don't live in between the knowing and the doing. Live in like both, like know and do. And so there's some people who they know a lot about Jesus, right? I mean, they've, they've studied. They know a lot about Jesus. If you ever play like Jesus Jeopardy or something, you know, you want them on your team because they can answer all the questions about genealogies and longest book of the Bible, shortest book, verse, all these different things. They can answer all those questions. Um, but then when you ask the real questions that really matter in life, like how is Jesus changing you? Or how are you being discipled? And who are you discipling? Or when and where are you experiencing real, life-giving, authentic, biblical community? And, and you ask those questions, it's almost like deer in the headlights. Well, I don't know, I never, never thought of that. Why? Because we think that if we know a lot about Jesus, it's the same as knowing Jesus. And it's not, right? You can know a lot about Jesus and at the same time still not know Jesus. There is a difference. And so this is what James is talking about, and he's challenging us, uh, because there's a lot of people who think, and at James' time too, that, hey, if I simply believe, then I can do whatever I want because I'm covered. Like, the grace of God, I'm covered. And, well, that was the problem for the, first, uh, for the Corinthians. And so that's Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians especially. And the problem still exists, and James, he's saying here, no, 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 no. What you do tells us what you believe. Like, we know what you believe based on what you do, and if you don't live it, why would anyone think that you actually believe it? Now, you remember driver's ed class? Do you have driver's ed? I mean, when, when I was in driver's ed, I don't, I don't know how your experience was, but for me, uh, it was the class, more than any other class in high school, where everybody was, like, super attentive. You know, the instructor he's in there and he was talking to us about the rules of the road and how to operate a car and everything and we're all we're all engaged we're dialed in you know we want to learn this stuff hey, other classes you know you know people they're they're out to lunch and whatever you're dozing off what you know your, your mind just kind of wanders but driver's ed you're paying really close attention and then the moment comes after you've learned all this stuff in the classroom where he takes you out on the road and there's cones up and all and then you know he gives you the keys now, everyone in the classroom was really engaged wanting to learn this stuff. But once it came time to hand the keys to people, there were a few in the class who were a little bit apprehensive, right? They're like, oh, no, no, not me. I don't, I don't want to go first. Like, let, let anybody else go. I, I don't want to drive. Me, I was like, give me the keys. Like, let's hit the road. This is, this is going to be fun. You know, I wanted to get out there. I wanted to do it. Um, but how do you know if someone knows how to drive? It's not just that they've been in driver's ed class and they can answer all the rules of the road and pass a test, right? You know if somebody knows how to drive when they drive, right? It's, it's the doing that validates the knowing. And that's what James is saying here. It's the doing that validates the knowing. The knowing informs the doing, right? The knowing tells you what to do. But it's the doing that validates that you actually know what to do. The doing validates the knowing, and the knowing informs the doing. The reason why people doubt is because they've never validated and verified that the teachings of Christ are true in the doing. Right? It's all theoretical. It's all theory. It sounds really good. And so you hear the teachings of Jesus... You say, well, these teachings sound really nice. You know, um, 
don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. That sounds really good, right? We should pray. We should go. And as you go, make disciples. This sounds really good. Uh, but actually doing it, actually living it, actually being these kind of people? Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, maybe some calligraphy art and put it in our house somewhere and that'll look nice. But to actually live it, well, that's something else entirely. But that tells us that you've actually validated it, that you really, truly believe it. You know, one of the guys who disciples me, his name's Tom. Tom's in his 70s now. And it was probably 11 or 12 years ago. I get a call from Tom, and Tom says, Hey, Steve, I'm going to a, a storytelling conference. I'd like you to come. Now, at the time, I was a, a youth pastor, and I had a retreat coming up that weekend. And, and we did a lot. I mean, I was gone at least one weekend every month. And I'm here in this storytelling conference, and I'm thinking to myself, Man, it sounds kind of like for kids or something. I don't know if the youth would respond to this, and I don't know if it's really going to be worth it. I was really, really skeptical, and at the same time looking at my schedule, like, I don't know, because this was an overnight conference and training. But because it was Tom, I went. You know, just the power of relationship, and I went. And I get there, and it wasn't long that I'm learning this, and basically the whole idea behind it was, hey, just take the narrative sections of Scripture and, and just just speak it, just tell it, and have people stand up and do all this. And it, what it really does is get people out of their comfort zone. It makes it, uh, creates a little uh, level of awkwardness and tension. But you know, without tension, there's never any intention to change. And so you can see almost immediately, wow, th- this might work. And so it worked great in the classroom, you know, in the lab where they're teaching you at the conference. It worked great. And it's, it's, but I'm saying to myself, okay, I've got all these lessons that I've prepared for this weekend with the students. You know what? I just feel I need to scrap all this, and we're just going to do the storytelling approach instead. And so I did. First night, uh, we tell the story of Mary and Martha and their time with Jesus and with high school students, and we talked for over two hours long. I mean, just two hours of conversation the whole night. And during that night, students are praying for each other and all kinds of things. And to this day, I'll still get former students occasionally who will say, Steve, you remember that night? You know, and they'll be, they'll be referencing that time. You know, any time, and a lot of times since then, Tom has invited me to different things or to read different things or to watch different things, or, you know, whatever. Um, I've never again just wondered I wonder if this is going to be profitable. You know, this might just be a waste of time, but because of Tom, no, no, no. Anytime Tom asked me to do anything now, I just assume this is probably going to be gold. Like, you know, if Tom is putting his stamp on it, like it's worth exploring, you know, it's worth trying out and just why, because I've already validated it in the past, you know, I validated the wisdom that he's given me in the past. So now I just trust. And, you know, Tom always leads me in a good direction. Uh, but he may fail occasionally. The thing about Jesus and his word, never fail. Okay, it's 100%. Whatever he says is true, is true. However he says we ought to live, well, we ought to live. But sometimes, like, we just don't feel it because it goes so countercultural to who we are. You know what I mean? So, like, we hear a verse, like, overcome evil with good, and we're like, man, but that person was so mean to me. I mean, they were so nasty. My, my gut is just to be really mean and nasty right back. Yeah, you know, because the world says, fight fire with fire, right? Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about that, we got a fire department like right across from our street. Uh, I've never once seen like firefighters go to a home whose like kitchen is on fire 
and then them say, you know what, let's start the family room on fire too. Maybe we'll just put it out. That's ridiculous, right? You bust out water hoses. You fight fire with water. You overcome evil with grace and mercy. You overcome hate with love. And, and when you try that out, then you validate and you verify that, hey, you know what? Jesus' teachings are actually true. Because this person who was so mean and so nasty and so rude to me, well, now they're my friend. Or maybe they're not. Maybe, maybe they get even more mean and nasty and rude to you because you're being kind. But you know what? You realize in the process, I didn't sacrifice my integrity. You know, it actually felt really good just to be kind. And, and so you realize, no, Jesus really does give the best wisdom for how life is to be lived. Uh, you know, one of the reasons, or the primary reason, that we don't validate it, that we don't know, like, okay, this is what we're supposed to do, um, is, is because we lack love. And then when you lack love, you fail to see who you are. You know, James says this, he says that if that in this gap between the knowing and the doing, when you're going through this cycle, you know, and then you do, you know, and then you do, you know, and then you do. But if you know and you don't do, you're like the man who looks at his face in a mirror and then immediately forgets what he looks like. I mean, can you imagine being someone who looks in the mirror and you can't even see yourself, right? Because you don't, you don't even know who you are. There's, there's an old black and white movie with, uh, with a guy who was like that. His name was Dracula. You remember this? And, and Dracula, he, he couldn't see himself in a mirror. And so what do you have? You have all the people running around with mirrors trying to show Jack, Dracula who he was and expose that he's really a vampire. Dracula couldn't see himself in a mirror because he had no soul. James says, if you hear the word and don't do it, effectively you have no soul. Your religion is worthless. There's no life in you. You're like a zombie. You know why the culture is so like obsessed with zombies? We got all these zombie movies and zombie TV shows and everything. It's the living dead. That's how most people live life. They live life like the living dead. They can't see themselves in a mirror. They don't know who they are. And so they're trying to figure things out. And whatever culture tells them, oh, this is who you are. I guess that's who I am. I don't really know. And as people who know the scriptures... We validate it in what we do. And in validating it, then we know who we are. Because who God is, is demonstrated by what he does. He tells us who we are, and then that gets expressed by what we do. So, at this point, you're really all set up. Like, here's, here's the part where I get to bring the hammer and say, all right, just do more, right? Just work really hard. Um, but the deal is, the reason why we don't, it's not because we lack courage. It's not because we lack knowledge. You know, we know a lot, right? We know the, you know a lot of the commands of the scripture. The reason why we don't is because we lack love. We lack love. Like I have a friend who's a biblical counselor for a church, and most of his counseling is marriage counseling, right? If people struggling with their marriages, they come in and he, can, he does a lot of marriage counseling. And he told me, he said, Steve, you know, I counsel all these couples, and I take them through the scripture, and I show them, and we give a plan, hey, here's what you need to do. And so many of them don't do it. They know what to do. They have the plan, but they don't do it. Why don't they do it? Because they love what they're doing more than they love their spouse to actually do this, right? 
What they lack is love. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll go to the church building more. No. If you love me, you'll sing louder. No. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if you have kids, isn't that true? Like, you can say you love me all the time, but you show that you love me when you obey me, right? <laughs> you know, and then you know, okay, yes, I see it. And, and so Paul, he writes this to the Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and I have all knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. You go from doing, or you go from knowing to doing through love. That's it. You go from knowing to doing through love. Why do we stop at the knowing and not go to doing? It's because we lack love. We forget, and we move on. See, we leak. That's the thing about us as people. We leak. Our love leaks. And so there's people, you know, at one time, you know, you cherish a relationship. You see this in marriages. Oh, yeah, they cherish. They love each other so much. And then what happens? There's a distance that begins to happen, and they grow apart. What happens? You forget love. And it's the same thing with Jesus, right? We love at first. There's excitement. You know, you're going out. You're saved. You're telling everybody you know there's such joy. And then what happens? You begin to leak, and you begin to forget, and you begin to think about yourself. And so that's one of the reasons why we take communion, regularly is just to remind ourselves of the love that Jesus demonstrated for us because once we know that type of love once we've experienced that type of love you can't help but want to love back you can't help but like Clarence was sharing this morning like hey you know it'd be really comfortable just to kind of stay here my family's kind of happy but let's pack up we'll move to the eastern shore and make disciples there we're going to obey and it's in the obedience, it's in the doing that you demonstrate the knowing. Now, if you try to do and you don't know, you know, we all know how that turns out, right? You ever see people who try to do stuff and they have no idea what it is they're doing? That's really painful to watch. That's why we always cycle back to the scriptures, right? Okay, I learn and then I do. I learn and then I do. It's Jesus, how he modeled it with his disciples. Hey, I'm going to teach you. And then he commissions them out. And then they they come back and they report. Jesus teaches some more, and he commissions them out again. We validate and we verify the commands of Jesus in the doing. And all of it's born out of love, out of a relationship. It's not just a checklist. That's the challenge. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, God, that you have shown us what love looks like, that you demonstrated that to us, that while we were your enemies, that, God, you overcame evil with good and the good of sending your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth for us, to die on the cross, to pay a price that we could never pay. And so, God, may we be a church that is obedient to the commands that you give us, commands that are for our good and for your glory. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.